Inside the IC is sponsored by Microsoft Federal, the choice for classified missions. Welcome to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal on Federal News Network. Now your host, Justin Doubleday. My guests today include Lieutenant General Laura Potter, the Deputy Chief of Staff for Intelligence G2 for the Army. General Potter, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Justin. It's really great to be on the show. You know, first of all, I want to thank you for inviting us to do this and for your interest in open source intelligence, which I know you've published on before. So I'm very excited to be here to talk to you. You know, as I reflect on the lessons we've learned from Afghanistan, uh, the Russia-Ukraine war, and really other problems across the globe, uh, we really live in an environment where the vast majority of information that we get is generated from publicly available information and commercially available information and and our OSINT efforts. So we've made great strides in this area. We decided to put a strategy together and publish that. And we really see this as a discipline that tips and cues other disciplines as sort of an intelligence discipline first resort. And we think it's it's critical to our future success. So we're glad to be here to talk about that strategy and other aspects of OSINT. Got it. Yeah, it's clearly a priority for you at the Army. Uh, you know, I should mention you, you won the OSINT Foundation's inaugural Intelligence Community OSINT Advocate Award earlier this year. So congratulations on that. You mentioned the OSINT strategy. I know we also have Dennis Egger. He's the Army Senior uh, Open Source Advisor. Mr. Egger, great to have you on as well. Hey, thanks, Justin. Good to talk to you again. Hey, uh, you mentioned the OSINT Advocate Award, and I think that's important. General Potter has been the force behind Army OSINT and the reason why we are where we are. Her advocacy and her leadership through this has been incredible and leading us to a place where we have uh, moved toward a very professionalized OSINT force. So looking forward to the discussion today. As honored as I was for that recognition, it was really built on the tremendously hard work of everything from junior soldiers and civilians up to Mr. Egger's level that really got us there. So I was really honored, but it was a team sport. And you mentioned that it became clear d- during Afghanistan and all the way up through you know the the ongoing Ukraine war the the value and the the critical importance of OSINT. I'm I'm wondering uh General Potter as you came in to be the G2 what was your view on you know OSINT going into that role and, and You know, we're going to talk about the strategy that I think was just published earlier this year. But from your leadership perspective on OSINT, how is your how is your view on it evolved in your time as the G2? You know, what convinced you that this really needs to be one of your your top priorities? You know, I think we're all forged by our experiences. And prior to coming into the G2, I was the commanding general of the Intel Center of Excellence for a year where we do training of all of our men and women. And prior to that, I was the J-2 of United States European Command in the years following the first Russia-Ukraine war. And some of the best analysis in the early days of the first Russia-Ukraine war came from open source intelligence. We had done some pilots on open source intelligence with, with intelligence and security command during that time frame. And so those two positions allowed me to reflect on the value of OSINT and, and allowed me to to see some of our gaps. And so I think as we talk further about the strategy and how we oriented the lines of effort, from my perspective anyway, those really came to life by those two positions that I had and what I was able to observe uh, during those jobs. 
Got it. Okay. And, you know, yeah, let's get into the strategy. I, know, I don't think this is a public document, but can you explain a little bit about what this strategy is, what it's all about, and, and perhaps what some of the lines of effort are? Yeah, so I'll kick that off. So, you know, anything in the Army that's that's worthwhile, right, is it starts with a strategy, and that kind of gets you in a direction where you need to go. We knew we needed to do that for a couple of reasons. One, um, we needed to kind of set a path forward for OSINT. We all knew it was important, but it's even more important to get the the Army on board, but important to get the OSINT enterprise on board. So we needed to set a path forward, um, and so we knew that a strategy was going to do that. But probably more importantly, we we needed to synchronize OSINT efforts across the Army and across the OSINT enterprise. So uh, a lot of folks were doing OSINT, and they were doing great work and great things. But from an Army perspective, they weren't necessarily synchronized completely like they needed to be. And so the strategy helped us to do that. Um, and then kind of the final two things with the reason why we needed to go forward with this was um, when you when you talk about resourcing and requirements in the Army, right, those are based off of, of strategies. And if you can lay them out in a strategy, then you have a better chance of understanding from a resourcing and a requirements perspective. So that's the reason why we we set out to do the strategy. From a lines of effort perspective, we we aligned those. We thought it was appropriate, really, to align those with General Potter's and the Army's priorities under people, modernization, readiness, and allies and partners. And so I'll just briefly hit a couple of them, and then General Potter will you know, comment on this. But from a people perspective, it was how are we going to develop and train um, and build an OSINT collection force in the Army that is is going to work from a you know not just in competition but in conflict um, phases. So um, that people thing was getting folks trained, and and we did that through the development of an uh, OSINT basic course, a really consolidated four week course that allowed us to hone the skills. Um, and I know General Potter will probably talk about it later from a civil liberties perspective, but we built that course into a four-week course because we wanted one full week to focus on uh, laws, regulations, civil liberties, what can and can't be done. From a modernization perspective, a lot of times when folks hear modernization, they automatically think capabilities or architecture, which is true, but we've taken it a step further. And we said, how do we modernize our training? So, you know, not just developing the four-week course, but moving it to a live synchronous virtual platform that in the end will save time and money from an army perspective, but will allow soldiers from a, from a home station to be able to be trained on OSINT. So we modernize the way we train. We modernize with a learning management system. And then we looked at capabilities from an, an entire intelligence process perspective. What capabilities do we need? to get open source intelligence to the tactical edge and how can we do it in near real time, if not real time. So, and from a readiness perspective, that focuses on exercises. So how do we get OSINT into the combat training centers or into INSCOM's training center, uh, home station training where soldiers can train on it every day or prior to heading out on a deployment. And then finally, Probably, you know, aside from all that, one of the most important things is allies and partners, right? So we know that in any conflict that we've been involved in, it's not just us. There are always allies and partners involved. And so we needed to focus that line of effort on 
how do we bring them into the fold from what we're doing from an OSINT perspective and what they're doing from an OSINT perspective. I think that just makes us all a little stronger, especially in this, this competition phase, as some would call it, leveraging each other's uh, intelligence to really get after what we what we think is important. Yeah, I think I would like to just reinforce two things. I think we really have made some great strides in training. So as we look towards the future of codifying which soldiers have actually had this training and where they're going to be assigned across our force structure, we really needed to formalize things. And so I'm very excited about that. We've had a great partnership with the Intelligence Center of Excellence out at Fort Huachuca and Intelligence and Security Command so that they learn some things in the traditional schoolhouse of the Army and then their follow-on opportunities after they leave the schoolhouse. And then the other thing is the fact that we do place a very high priority, as uh, Mr. Egger alluded to, on the intel oversight the regulations, the laws, the privacy concerns, et cetera, to make sure that our intel analysts know um, how to do this work uh, properly. Got it. Yeah. And let's touch on that a little bit. I wanted to, uh, during this conversation, ask about you know how you're putting in place guardrails around the use of this information. Because you know when we're talking about OSINT, of course, we're talking about publicly available information, commercially available information. There's you know a lot of uh, potential for abuse here in, in various ways. How are you putting in place these guardrails to ensure that these OSINT collectors are, are, are doing what they need to do without taking it um, a step too far? Yeah, um, I'll open up on that one. So we actually have a great system in place to ensure that, like you said, the guardrails are in place. And so it starts first with data. So I know there's a lot of concerns, right, of, of, of folks accessing data or, say, scraping the internet of everything, which could include, you know, information on U.S. persons, right? So, you know, first and foremost, from an OSINT perspective right now, we're not scraping and holding, you know, any kind of data. For us, data is from a software as a service perspective. And the re one of the reasons why we do that is because it allows us with whatever vendor that we're going through to actually state our requirements, right? And, and one of our requirements is that the data that we're accessing must be clean in a sense, right? It can't include U.S. persons. Um, so it's got to be clean when you do it. It has to be separate from your other data. So, it, you know, it has to be sectioned off in a sense so that it's not corrupted by other data or that we can't access other data. So, so that's the first step. It's going into the data piece. The second piece then is, you know, the Army OSIN office is responsible for all of the accounts, right? And so what we have in place is an auditing capability where we can we can audit OSINT collectors and make sure that they're not doing the wrong thing. And if we have something or something comes up, we can immediately turn it over to the correct office, Intel Oversight, then they would start their process to see what exactly happened from a collection standpoint. So that's kind of the second guardrail that we put in place. And then finally, the, the third guardrail that we put in place is any type of reporting that comes into our open source portal. We have another team of folks that ensures that the reporting itself is cleaned, doesn't include any of that before it gets hosted or posted or accessed from anybody else. So we kind of have three phases to really ensure that folks um, are doing the right things and there are plenty of guardrails in place. And if I could just add on that, you know, OSINT being the newest discipline, if you will, 
all of our Intel professionals are fundamentally grounded in executive order one, two, triple three. We've got a strong intelligence oversight program across the army. We have soldiers who know how to report something if they think they have either inadvertently made a mistake or they think there is a mistake being made in their unit. We've got lawyers that help us implement that. We teach it in our command courses. And so um, I'm pretty confident that we have a program in place that has the guardrails that you're referring to. Lieutenant General Laura Potter, the Army's Deputy Chief of Staff for Intelligence. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I'm Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. With the broadest range of breakthrough technology solutions, Microsoft Azure for Government is the choice for classified missions. Built for government agencies and their partners, unlock insights, build new capabilities, and empower collaboration in secret and top-secret environments. Microsoft Azure is built for national security missions, combining cloud-native capability with classified networks, hybrid and multi-cloud, to create a developer-friendly platform that is ready anywhere and secure everywhere. Visit MicrosoftFederal.com. That's MicrosoftFederal.com. Welcome back to Inside the IC. I'm your host, Justin Doubleday. I'm speaking with the Army's Deputy Chief of Staff for Intelligence, Lieutenant General Laura Potter, and the Senior OSINT Advisor at the Army, Dennis Egger. Okay, and you know, I do want to turn to the development of this OSINT specialized workforce. You mentioned, you know, developing and training an OSINT collection force. And, and, you know, it's in the schoolhouse per se now with the with this course that you have, you know, as as this moves into the formations across the army, what's the path forward for that? Are there going to be, you know, pe- people whose full time job is OSINT? Are there going to be full time OSINT units? How do you see this really being institutionalized across the army going forward as part of a workforce? Very good question. So. We've actually taken a lot of steps and we started actually, you know, a few years ago, more than a few years ago, probably about five years ago when they started really looking at this. And so we've built in very specific open source collection teams within many of the organizations. And I won't go into specific, you know, numbers or or where they are, right? But we have built OSINT teams into our major formations that it is their full-time job. So as part of the training thing that we've done, one of the things that'll come out of that is what's called an additional skill identifier. And so it's a specific code that's put onto every one of those collector positions in in the army that that shows and dedicates it as an OSINT collector position, regardless of the skill set, whether it's an all-source person or a human person that comes into it. If they come into that position and it's coded as such that they're going to be a collector, then they go off to the um, OSINT basic course, they get trained, and then they come back and they do that. The additional skill identifier also gives us the ability that in the future, you know, we'll know how many people are trained or how many trained collectors we have out there. So as we start to progress with, you know, future assignments, if someone moves from a collection team into an all-source team, and later on down the line, we could we could bring them back because they've already been trained. So that's what allows us to institutionalize it. And, and we're building them out in all future formations. So 
That's the military side of the house. From a civilian side of the house, we have a number of civilian OSINT positions already. In addition to that, I've been tasked with leading the effort to look at our civilian workforce and what does a, a career field or career development for an intelligence civilian look like for OSINT. So if they wanted a path forward to kind of check out OSINT, maybe get involved in it, what does that development path look like? Um, or what would the civilian structure look like in the future? So uh, I'm working that currently. Um, so I think at the end of the day, you know, we will have a, an incredibly robust military force as well as an incredibly robust civilian force that we'll be leaning on. Yeah, wow, it sounds like you're really moving out fast on this. And I mean, more broadly across the intelligence community and across the military, how do you see some of this work kind of coalescing with uh, maybe what the Navy, Air Force are doing, what what other elements of the IC are doing? So you have these these standards for training, so you have these career paths more broadly um, across the, the the intelligence community going forward. Is that is that conversation happening? So that's a great question, particularly because we inherently fight as a joint force, um, and there is such a close relationship between the services, the COCOMs, and the combat support agencies. I think there's been some great crosstalk over the past year to 18 months in particular across the intel community, so all of the, the key agencies that are operating in this space. And then inside the defense intelligence enterprise, I think Lieutenant General Barrier at DIA and his team, the Defense Open Source Center, have really provided some great leadership in his functional manager role. And so I think that is a very important aspect to moving out with consistency. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, we're, we're doing an incredible job across whether it's the IC or um, DOD, right? So we're very nested. So I, I sit as the vice chair of the DOSC, which is, you know, the other side of the house, the DOD side of the house. And we're a key member on, you know, the NOSC side of the house or the IC writ large. And we are nested very, very well. So they all have our strategy. And as they're working their strategies, we're ensuring that everything is synchronized and nests. And every capability that we're thinking about or working on from an IC perspective um, or just what the Army's working on, we're ensuring that it's nested with those capabilities. What we don't want is someone going on a track on their own, and then we find out that what we were doing doesn't really line up with a capability that, they're, that they might have. So one example of that is a small example. What we've offered from the training perspective is as we stand up our live virtual synchronous training here, we're going to offer up, you know, after the new year, uh, spots for members of the IC or the joint community to come and receive that training, right? And to evaluate it and see if it works so that we can move to a more joint certified OSINT basic course. Uh, and so, you know, really from a service perspective, they're on board. Uh, and I think we're going to have some great results from it. So yeah, we're, we're nested well and we're moving forward quite well as an IC. Got it. And that's a pretty big development. You know, is that is it your understanding that the course and the training that you're offering might be the only kind of broadly available OSINT type training of its type available across kind of DOD and the IC? Yeah, so we're looking at that right now. And so the key is that we all take a look at our training programs, right, to say, how do they nest? Where are they the same and where are they different? 
You know, one of the challenges is, so from an army perspective, right, our, our training runs through TRADOC, which has very specific requirements that you have to go through, which may be different than Navy's or the Marine Corps. And so you have to be careful, right, when you're designing these courses and, and what it looks like. And, and we're not there for a fully vetted joint course yet, but I, I think we can take advantage of what we each train or what we don't train. But we are looking at it holistically across the IC, especially the services. So what does Marine Corps train? What does the Air Force train and Navy train? What does it look like for us? And where are we the same? Where are we different, right? And let's close the gaps and then make a, a very holistic training document across the DOD first and then specifically the IC. And, you know, let's just, just to dig into it a little bit more, what do you see as being the, the most important kind of OSINT skills, knowledge that someone has to have either coming into this training course or after this training course? What, what does that OSINT, either soldier or civilian of the future, look like from just kind of an expertise perspective? So I think there's two aspects of this, and I'm going to cover the first one, and then I'm going to ask Dennis to jump in on the second one. So I think, you know, in the near term, our training focuses on making sure that all of our MOSs have an overview of OSINT so that we baseline the entire Army Intel enterprise. Dennis has already talked about the OSINT basic course and some of the things we want to do with... Um, our Department of the Army civilians. There is also an aspect of this that extends beyond the active component army to ensure that our analysts in the reserve and the guard, who really on a day-to-day -day basis are part of our holistic approach towards analyzing adversaries, so they need to be in lockstep with us. Um, the other thing I would say is making sure we're educating leaders, both intel leaders and the consumers of our intelligence, our warfighting leaders on the value of the discipline, but also how carefully it has to be managed and implemented. Dennis, you want to talk in specifics about the soldier capabilities? Yes, ma'am. I think I think General Potter, that was, you know, she set me up well for this. So first, one of the points that she made is very, very important. And that is that we've built what's called, you know, a, a pair course or a PAI for research course. And it is the very basics of what can and can't be done on the internet. And we've built that into every MOS skill set in Intel. And, and we did that purposely, right? So that that gave everyone a foundation for understanding that you, if you're looking at it from an Intel perspective, you can't just go out there onto the internet and do anything that you want. And so that's kind of that very foundational piece. The other part that she touched on was from a leadership perspective, right? And so these, these OSINT teams that we're going to have, great. They're going to do great things, great collection, but they're going to be led by somebody whether it's a platoon sergeant, platoon leader, a company commander, a battalion commander. And so they have to understand the aspects of what their collectors can and can't do uh, and what they can expect from them. So we've built out courses through our Foundry platform, and one of them is just that. It's a leader's, a leader's training program, anywhere from you know a, a two-hour course to a four-hour course to an eight-hour course, depending on the level of leadership that you're at, which really gives leadership, this foundational look about, this is what you can expect from your collectors. This is how you employ them. This is what they can and can't do, which I think is really, really important. But from a very specific, what, what we're looking for, right, is, is we know that analysts have, that 
they need to have spent some time being an analyst in their field for a little while. But aside from that, it's I think the biggest thing is getting folks to understand that OZINT is not Google, right? It's not a Google search. It's not, um, we can just go out there and whatever we Google and find, we're, we're good. And I think that education piece is really where we have to be foundational for everybody. But aside from that, really, we're looking at folks that have been analysts for, you know, a little while, you know, especially our new soldiers. We, we need them to get out there and, and do analysis in their field for 12 to 24 months to really understand Intel, the intelligence cycle and, and, and the PED process, and then bring them back so that they can be more effective. Interesting. Okay. Well, and you know, I wanted to touch on tooling and technology as, as well. We've talked a lot about the, the training and knowledge platforms that you all have built, but you know, I saw Inscom put out a call for white papers earlier this year and, and OSINT was right at the top of, of those technology needs from a technology perspective, what are some of the Army's biggest OSINT requirements, needs? How are you all getting after that, whether it's through a big program of record or otherwise? What's important to think of technology-wise here? So I'm going to throw a couple things out. So I think when you consider the extraordinary volumes of data, both open source data and all of our traditional classified data that our analysts will have at their disposal in a future fight. We need to help them as much as we can with enabling technologies so that they can sort through that data. Whether that is a future AI or machine learning application that does some of the initial triage, if you will, whether that is tools that help us with veracity of the data or somehow categorizing the data. Those are the kind of things that some of our other Intel disciplines have decades and decades of tradecraft and technological enhancements. And we need to make sure we have those in place for OSINT. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add in that I think as General Potter touched on from a you know the enormous amounts of data perspective, right? Really, we have to look at capabilities that allow us to do things more efficiently, that allows us to really go through this data quickly that allows a collector or an analyst to do to spend their time analyzing and not having to go through just these enormous amounts of of data. And so, you know, capabilities that allow us to to get after things uh quicker and more efficiently are probably the most important. But you know, there's one other thing, and you, and you know, you mentioned the, you know Inscom's white paper call, really, and it, and it and it was to get after a number of these OSINT technologies because, as you know, Justin, these things change very quickly from you know the internet to the capabilities, and so it's really staying on top of what is out there and staying current on what is out there. But we've got to we've got to always ensure that whatever capability we're doing, that we're using things that are going to allow us to get reporting and information to commanders and to soldiers at the tactical edge, like near real time and into that processing, exploitation and dissemination cycle very, very quickly. And I think there are a lot of, you know, capabilities out there or future capabilities or technologies that we think about now that might get us there. And so, yeah, that's that's what we're looking at, because that's that's really the most important. Yeah. And, and if I could add one thing. So, what we both just spoke about is what we want to see happen 
in the real world. But just as important is our training base is doing training in constructive, virtual, and synthetic training environments. So when we train a brigade combat team, a division, a corps, a multi-domain task force, we need a training pipeline that will help replicate in the training environment just that volume of open source data. So that's another aspect of our modernization that we're looking hard at. That's very interesting. And, you know, I know we are running up on time here, so I just want to make sure I get this last question in. Uh, You've talked a lot about some of the opportunities and what you're doing, how you're getting after this OSINT, you know, strategy. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges, though, to the intelligence community, you know, fully embracing OSINT going forward? What what do you see as some of the, the long poles in the tent, so to speak? Well, I think we've made some progress, but we still have work to do in terms of across the IC within DOD and across the IC of what data sets we procure and how we procure them. We have made some progress, but I think there will always be work to do in that regard. I talked a little bit about some of the analytic tradecraft and tools that we need to work on. Those, I think, are a work in progress. And then I think... um, The third thing I would say is, you know, ensuring that we can have an ability to share what we need to share at all levels of classification. So while OSINT is derived from unclassified information, and some of it will stay unclassified, some of it contributes to assessments or is combined with classified intelligence that make that OSINT become a classified document. So working to ensure we have what we need at top secret, secret, releasable to our allies and partners, and at the unclassified level is also a very important aspect to this. Yeah. So I think General Potter really hit on all those that are important. I I would just, you know, I would just add that I think from an army perspective, I would say that we're not only nested, but bought in, right? Army's leadership is, is bought in. And I think that's that's evident, as, as General Potter said from the beginning, I think Ukraine, people understood when, when that fight started, really, really understood the power of um, publicly available information and, and OSINT, quite honestly. So, so I think from an Army perspective there, it, you know, we're good. We're, we're, they're bought in. They, they know the importance of this. Um, but when you talk about gaps and stuff, and I certainly, you know, wouldn't go into specific gaps only because, right, we're not going to. We're not going to tip our hand right to the enemy for for anything that there are gaps. But I would, you know, what I would kind of shift to say though is there are things that technology-wise, right, that we really need to look at that I think we've seen over the last few years from a misinformation and disinformation perspective, bots, deep fakes. And so going forward, what's that going to look like? And not only with that, but what's what is the next thing? What is beyond misinformation and disinformation? What is beyond the deep fake that we really have to start looking at, right? And those, you know, and that's when we write the strategy and we say things, it's three to seven years, it's out to like 2030. So yeah, in, in 2030, what are we what are we expecting that to look like? And I think, so I think that's important. All right. Well, some really interesting things to consider there. And I think we could probably continue this conversation for a while more, but we'll have to leave it at that. Again, I'd like to thank Lieutenant General Laura Potter, the Deputy Chief of Staff for Intelligence for the Army, and Dennis Egger, Senior OSINT Advisor. Thanks again to you both for joining the show. Thank you, Justin. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. 
Search for Inside the IC on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your shows.